didn't realize it was this late. But it's time to get started. And today we're actually in 2 Samuel. I expected a rousing cheer after that, but I guess I'm hoping for too much. Excuse me. Got some review. <clears throat> oh, thanks. So, where's Samuel by the end of First Samuel? Somebody knows. He gone. Dead and gone. Caught his death earlier, and he is gone. So, by the way, if, if he's gone. Who wrote First and Second Samuel? We haven't talked about that. I don't. I don't normally talk about those kind of details. Uh, one of the reasons is it, it's here. We assume it's the providence of God that's brought it to us at this point, and often there's no way to prove. And it never did seem to be, in my estimation, uh, a huge point of importance for God. To show us who wrote what. It, it, sometimes you know, sometimes you don't. And in this case, we don't fully know. What's believed is Samuel began it. And it was finished by uh, the two prophets, Gad and Nathan. Two prophets that figure in First and Second Samuel. But we don't really know whether it was done that way or not. But he's gone. Uh, his death was recorded earlier. And so we've got... We've got these two books of history. Originally, they were just one book. And then when the Septuagint... Are you familiar with the Septuagint? It's a Greek version of the Old Testament created prior to the coming of Christ, to the fleshly, bodily coming of Christ. And when the Septuagint was created, it was split into First and Second Samuel. So that's how that came about. But Samuel is gone by the time we get to Second Samuel. As we start reading, he's gone. He's been gone for a while. Do you remember... Uh, Saul, he tried to get in touch with Samuel and was in fact successful after Samuel's death. Who did he do that through? The witch of Endor. He went to the witch of Endor. Witches had been outlawed and when she found out who it was, she was afraid she would be killed and he assured her, nope, I won't kill you because I deserve to die myself. Well, he didn't say that, but <laughs> that's kind of like, oh, okay. But he found out uh, through her or got to talk to Samuel through her after Samuel was dead and remember what Samuel told him he said if the Lord God has turned against you what do you want me to do for you <laughs> it was like he was uh, desperate and seeking out whatever help he could find at that situation or in that circumstance but he, he was not was not helped if Samuel's gone, who wrote this history? Hey, that's a good question, isn't it? Where's Saul by the end of 1 Samuel? What happened to him in the last chapter of 1 Samuel? He's dead. <clears throat> Another battle with the Philistines. Philistines killed him. Well, actually, killed himself. Philistines found the body, cut off his head. What'd they do with the body? They, they, 
Yes, they fastened his body and the bodies of his sons to the wall of the city of Bethshan. Imagine driving into a town and oh, there's a couple of guys, dead guys, hanging up there. That's, that's the way they did it back then. So it's a hard, hard world, and it still is. All right. Searched it out, and every time I get into a class like this, I wonder that. When it talks about he's going to talk, uh, cut off uh, Saul's lineage, and then David gets one of his wives or daughters as a wife, then to me that means he's going to completely eliminate his lineage, everything, stop it. And I wondered if that meant you know, erasing from the earth or just his name doesn't mean. I think they have something. Excuse me. Let's go. David was married to his daughter. Do you have any children? It's, it's not even, well, when you get to 2 Samuel chapter, chapter 3. We're, we're getting a list of his wives at that point, Second Samuel chapter 3, the first several verses, and it gives uh, the sons that are born to him and the wives through which they were born, and Michael is not listed among the women who were his wives who, through whom he gained any offspring. So I don't know if that helps answer your question or not. but He will later support a young man by the name of uh, Mephibosheth, who is Saul's son, and he's trying to honor him because he, he still holds Saul in honor. Why does he hold Saul in honor? He was the Lord's anointed. He was the Lord's anointed, and he will always honor the Lord's anointed. That's what we see uh, as part of David's character that's revealed to us as we, we read about his actions, and that's how our character is revealed. It's by our actions, by our speech, by what we say and what we do. So... This is another aspect of David's character. And when God says, a man after my own heart, I see that as, as part of that character that's seeking after the ways of God and to honor the things that God will honor. And I'm, I feel like I'm rambling. I hope I'm not rambling right now. But uh, What have we learned about Jerusalem so far? Oh, but. Wasn't Saul's son a cripple? Yes. yes. That, that David took mercy on him and said, right. Right. You know, he, he could eat at my table. Uh, in other words, he didn't have nobody to support him. Right. <laughs> now, there was a named Ishbosheth, which sounds like Mephibosheth, but uh, Ish, Ishbosheth, the other boy, was murdered by, by some people who thought, oh, we're get, we'll get some clout with David when he finds out we've killed Saul's son. So, but it, it didn't work out that way, and, and we'll, Lord willing, we'll get to that eventually. But Mephibosheth is the one who was crippled and whom David showed mercy to because he was wanting to, to honor the legacy of Saul. Jerusalem, what have we heard about Jerusalem so far? The only thing we've read so far, and I didn't elaborate on this, I, I didn't point it out real heavily at the time, but when David kills Goliath and takes off his head, the text says that he put the head in Jerusalem. And there's some controversy over what exactly that means uh, because Jerusalem was part of the inheritance, but it was still held by the Jebusites. At least there was a fortress there that the Jebusites held. And so I don't know if you know how 
scholars are, but they're very violent people. They fight over things they think are true. <laughs> and they usually fight over the things they have the least proof about. So they have opinions, and opinions are what they fight over. But some think, well, what that means is that he would later put the head in Jerusalem, but since it's already happened by the time they wrote First Samuel, they, they wrote it in. And that might be the truth, but something else that might be the truth is that David took the head to Nob, which was near Jerusalem, and so the author just pointed out, well, Jerusalem was, was significant in that way. Others will say, well, they didn't have all of Jerusalem. The Jebusites had the fortress area, but Jerusalem was in possession of the Jews, so, so he put the head. There's, there's no real answer to the question is what I'm getting down to. And this is another one of those things. If God doesn't provide an answer, it's probably not a really important point to worry over. But we have mentioned or have seen a mention of Jerusalem only one time so far. But I thought Jerusalem was the primary city of the Israelites. Well, <clears throat> it will be, but not yet. Not yet. As a matter of fact, does David even have a capital at this point? Where was Saul's capital? We haven't really talked about that because that was never really a, a big issue or a big point that uh, was uh, focused on in 1 Samuel. But Saul's home was in Gibeah, and that's, that seems to be where it goes back to. That's the place where he went to when everything kind of settled down. So there's not really a focus on a city that was Saul's capital, and there's not yet a focus on a place for David. But we'll get to that as we start reading in First or Second Samuel. I just wanted you to realize for sure, okay, Jerusalem is not yet uh, a big deal in the eyes of the Lord in this point of Israel's history. How many wives does David have by this time? And that's in chapter 3. Is that what I just mentioned a minute ago in 2 Samuel? Uh, actually, that's, that's an inaccurate, I'm, I'm leading you astray here. By the time we start 2 Samuel, he's only got two. He had Michael, but, but he doesn't apparently see her as a wife anymore. She's not mentioned any longer. And now we have... Abigail, and what was the other girl's name? Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess. So he's got two when 2 Samuel begins. But by the time we get to chapter 3 of 2 Samuel, there will be several other wives that will be mentioned. And that's because some years have passed and he's getting established as king in Judah. All right, I think those are all the review questions. Not all those were review, were they? Some of those were... New stuff. 2 Samuel, we're reading in 2 Samuel chapter 1, 1 through 10. Who wants to read those first 10 verses of 2 Samuel? Wow, what an honor, what a privilege as we get started. Robert, Robert's here. Robert's going to read the first 10 verses. And then we're going to skip the latter part. Wait a minute, I did this wrong. No, that's right. Chapter, chapter 1, 1 through 10, and then chapter 1, 11 through 16. Who's got that? 11 through 16. Anybody want to read that? Oh, Charles has got it. And we'll pause at that point and come back and talk about it, and then we'll, we'll go on to some further readings. But we, we will not read uh, David's dirge for Saul and Jonathan at the end of chapter 1. We'll, we'll skip over that. You can read that for yourself. It's, it's pretty rich, but uh, not for the purpose of, of the class this morning. So, All right, Robert and then Charles. Now it came about after the death of Saul, when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, that David's 
stayed two days in Ziklag. And on the third day, behold, a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. And it happened when he came to David, he fell to the ground and prostrated himself. Then David said to him, From where do you come? And he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. David said to him, How did things go? Please tell me. And he said, The people have fled from the battle, and many of the people also have fallen and are dead. And Saul and his son, Jonathan, are also dead. Then David said to the young man who told him, How do you know that Saul and his son, Jonathan, are dead? The young man who told him, By chance I happened to be on Mount Gilboa, and behold, Saul was leaning on his spear. And behold, the chariots and the horsemen have overtaken him. When he took, when he looked behind himself, he saw me and called to me. And I said, Here I am. Then he said to me, Who are you? And I answered him, I am an Amalekite. And he said to me, Please stand next to me and finish me off, for agony has seized me, because my life still lingers in me. So I stood next to him and finished him off, because I knew that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown which was on his head, and the band which was on his arm, and I brought him here to be my Lord. I brought them here to be my Lord. Then David took hold of his clothes and tore them. And so also did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and his son Jonathan, and for the people of the Lord and the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. Then David said to the young man who informed him, Where are you from? And he answered, I am the son of a stranger and a Malachite. And David said to him, How is it you were not afraid to reach out with your hands to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of the young men and said, Come forward, put him to death. So he struck him, and he died. And David said to him, Your blood is on your head. Because your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have finished off the Lord's anointed. Lord, thank you very much. <clears throat> so Saul's dead, but David doesn't know it. Saul was fighting the Philistines. Who was David fighting? The Amalekites. Remember the Amalekites had attacked Ziklag? What was Ziklag? That was the town where David and his men and their families were living. And so while they were off with the Philistines, they were moving with the Philistines, remember, to attack the Israelites. <clears throat> and some of the Philistine leaders said, no, we don't want David among us. He'll turn and it'll be the worst thing that could happen to us. In the middle of the battle, he'll turn and he'll reunite himself with his own Israelite uh, countrymen and he'll fight against us. So make him go home. So he... He was on his way back home, and they got back home to Ziklag, found out that it had been attacked and burned with fire. All their people, stuff was gone. So they pursued the Amalekites and whipped them while Saul is fighting the Philistines. And so here's this messenger that comes back from the battle between Saul and the Philistines, and David wants to have a report. How did it go? And the young man says, what? That I, I killed Saul. Did he kill Saul? Not according to the record of chapter 31. If you look at 31, it says, <clears throat> I 
Yes. Verse 4 of chapter 31, Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and pierce me through with it. Otherwise, these uncircumcised will come and pierce me through and make sport of me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. So Saul took his sword and fell on it. So right there, we're reading that Saul killed himself with his own sword after failing to, to convince his armor bearer to kill him. When his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul died, his three sons, his armor bearer, and all the men on that day together. And then it says in verse 7, when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley, when those who were beyond the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned the cities and fled and the Philistines came and lived in them. And on the next day, the Philistines come, find the bodies and take them to Bethshan. So apparently, it doesn't say this, but apparently after Saul and his armor bearer have killed themselves, this young man comes upon the scene because somehow he's in possession of what? He's got the crown. So he, he comes upon the crown. And apparently, he comes up with this plan. Wow, if I lie through my teeth and tell David that I killed his enemy, I'll be a hero and I'll probably be highly rewarded and greatly regarded. And David says what? You have done what I refuse to do. You have lifted up your hand against the Lord's anointed. And so that's it for that boy. Uh, wow. So if you're going to do something you think is good, you better make sure it's good. And you better make sure you brag about it to the right people. <laughs> so, but, but this kid was a liar. And he had not done what he said he did. We know that because the text just told us that's not the way it happened. And so God is showing us, again, how committed David is to this idea that once God anoints you, you're the one. You better not mess with God's anointed. Is there any subliminal message here at all? What does the title Christ mean? Somebody please know this, because I've, I thought you'd get tired of me talking about this. Christ, the word means anointed of God. What does the word Messiah mean? It's the Hebrew form of the word Christ, or the Greek Christ is the form in Greek of the Hebrew Messiah. They both mean the same thing, anointed of God. So think about this. We're seeing David who was the great, 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 great grandpa of Jesus according to the flesh, and he will not lift up his hand against the Lord's anointed, and his great, great, great grandson is going to be the son of God. David doesn't know this, but he is the anointed of all the anointeds, and you better not lift up your hand against him. It's, it's fascinating when you start seeing this and it's, it's like, God, why didn't you point that out? I'm too dumb to see that right off. You should have told me that. Right. Do we need to correct God? <laughs> no. He's, it's like, you're going to see how rich this is when you find it, when you see it. Charles? This, this might be a silly question, and I apologize in advance, but I've wondered about this before. All right. So if Saul killed himself, and he killed the Lord's anointed, right? So, I just don't, does that mean that he was cursed? 
He was already pretty bad off. He, he was already pretty bad off. It's like he went down, as we say it today, in the wrong rabbit hole, and, and he just kept going. At any time, I'm convinced Saul could have come to his senses and said, remember the, the prodigal son, the story Jesus told of the prodigal son? That's what it says of him. He came to his senses. Where was he when he came to his senses? He was eaten with the hogs. And he said, man, if I just went back where? Went back home, went back to my father's house. And be what? Just be one of the servants. Just be a slave. If I just go back to my father, my father's slaves have it so much better than I've got it. They've got something to eat. They've got productive work to do. They're, now, he didn't go through all this, but you understand this is, is the way it was. If you're a slave, part of a family, then you're a valued member of that group, and you're protected. You have the fellowship of that family and the training, and you have a responsibility towards them. As they have a responsibility towards you, you're provided for. It, it's just like being part of the family. You, you're a slave, but you're... Part of the family. And that's what he wanted to do, go back and do that. Not be a son, but to be a slave. Because I'm sure in his mind he didn't think he deserved that, and he didn't. But what happens when he goes back? His father meets him, throws a feast, kills the fatted calf, celebrates, and he says, this son of mine was dead. But we've received him back alive. That's what Saul could have done. That's what I can do when I have failed and done wrong and I've, and I, I man, I'm, I'm on the outs with God. Yes, exactly. You're getting ahead of us. That's okay. You can do that. You're allowed to read ahead in this class. As a matter of fact, it's encouraged. But that's another thing about David that we see that's so distinctively different from Saul. And you see that, again, with Judas and with Peter. What did Judas do when he felt remorse? He did the same thing Saul did. He hung himself. He killed himself. Took his own life rather than belly up to his pride and say, all right, I've got to get past this. I've got to ask God to forgive me. I've got to move on, which is what Peter did. Peter denied his Lord three times. Things didn't go the way he thought they were going to go. He was planning to fight and die right there in the garden. He drew his sword and struck out a, a blow at, at Malchus, one of the high priest's servants, and Jesus said, put that sword up. And Peter said, I'm out of here. If this isn't going to go the way I thought, I'm out of here. And later he's questioned and he says, I don't know him. I don't know him. And then he starts cursing. I don't tell you I don't know him. And then what did he hear? He heard the cock crow. And he wept bitterly, but he didn't kill himself, did he? He's the one you see on Pentecost. He's the voice in our mind's ear. I know we talk about our mind's eye. We don't talk about a bunch of our, our mind's ear, but he's, he's the one we see and hear on Pentecost doing what? Preaching the gospel of his Lord, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who said, you're, you're going to do this. I'm sending you guys to Jerusalem. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria. In Oklahoma, uh, the uttermost parts of the earth is what it actually says. And, and at that time, that's what we were. And here we are, 2,000 years later, 
we're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ and remembering these guys and what they've done, both good and bad. And we're learning that what Saul did is nothing unusual. And what David did is nothing unusual as far as people in God's history are concerned. There have always been the faithful and there have always been the faithless. And so today, you and I marvelously get to decide, are we going to be among the faithful or are we going to be among the faithless? Or are we going to be one of these side people and the side people are kind of the same, faithful or faithless? We got this, this young man who is faithless. He finds the body of Saul and Jonathan and instead of saying, oh, this is horrible news, I, I got to go tell David that this has not gone well. I'll, I'll take the crown to him and surrender that. But I'm just going to say this is what I found. And I'm so sorry, David, that you, the, one, the man you loved and respected is dead and gone. And your good friend Jonathan is dead and gone. If he had done that, think about what David might have done for that young man. But instead, he concocts this story that he thinks will get him ahead. But he doesn't know David's heart. If he knew David's heart, he would know that's not the way you do it. You, you do it with the truth. But know that uh, the word death does not mean ceasing to exist. Right. It means separated from. So whatever you're separated from, you know. Like James said, that, that's, that's what spirit leaves body, the spirit separated from body is when death takes place. And Isaiah 59, chapter Isaiah says, there's sins are separated between you and God. That's, that's the way it works. Good point. So, here we are. We've come to this point where Saul is gone. So, who's going to be king now? Duh. It's got to be David. got to be David. Chapter 2. Let's do some more reading here. This is chapter 2. 1 through 7. Who wants to do that? Anybody feel like reading? All right, Shannon. And let me see if we want to do that other one yet or wait on it. Uh, Yeah, let's do 12 to 17. Who wants to read 12 to 17? One more reader. I'll read it. All right. So we're doing uh, 1 to 7, 8 to 11, and then I'll do 12 to 17. It happened after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, Where shall I go? And he said, Go to Hebron. So David went there, and his two wives also. Ahinoam, the Jezreel, Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David brought up the men who were with him, every man with his household. So they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. Then the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David, king over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying, The men of Jabesh-Gilead were the ones who buried Saul. So David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, You are blessed of the Lord, for you have shown kindness to your Lord, to, of your Lord to Saul, and have buried him. 
And now may the Lord show kindness and truth to you. I will also repay you this kindness because you have done this thing. One more. Oh, uh, now therefore let your hands be strengthened and be uh, valiant. For your master Saul is dead, and also the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. Meanwhile, Abner, son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, had taken Ishbosheth, son of Saul, and brought him over to Manahar. He made him king over Gilead, Ashuri, and Jezreel, and also over Ephraim, Benjamin, and all of Israel. Ishbosheth, son of Saul, was 40 years old when he became king over Israel, and he reigned for two years. The house of Judah, however, followed David. In the length of time, David was king and Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Starting verse 12, Now Abner the son of Ner went out from Mahanaim to Gibeon and with the servants of Ishbosheth the son of Saul. And Joab the son of Zeruiah, the servants of David, went out and met them by the pool of Gibeon. They sat down, one on one side of the pool and the other on the other side. Abner said to Joab, Now let the young men arise and hold the contest before us. And Joab said, Let them arise. So they arose and went over by count, twelve for Benjamin and Ishbosheth, some Saul, and twelve for the servants of David. Each one of them seized his opponent by the head and thrust his sword in his opponent's side, so they fell down together. Therefore that place was called Helkathazurim. Which is in Gibeon. The field of sword edges is what that means. And that day the battle was very severe, and Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. So, nice peaceful transition of power. Everything's working out swimmingly. Well, maybe not. Now, who is Abner? Not the guy from the comic strip. That's little Abner. Abner was Saul's captain. I'm sorry, somebody get that? That's who he was. He he was Saul's uh, army commander. Who is Joab? Joab is David's army commander. So Saul didn't command the army. David didn't command the army. They were the uh, supreme commanders, but, but they had captains, generals, if you will, chiefs of staff, and that's who these guys were. So... What does, what does Abner do in verse 8? But he takes Saul's son, whom he would believe would be the natural heir. He's not concerned about the anointing that David has. He's only concerned about the fact that he was Saul's servant and now Saul's gone, so his son will take the throne, and that was Ishbosheth. So he puts him on the throne. And where's he put him on the throne? What city? Mahanaim. Is, is the name of the place, as I would pronounce it. Uh, let me see. I, yeah, there we go. You can see Mahanaim. It's above the Dead Sea, about midway between the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee, which is unmarked. It's that little blue spot there. And it's, of course, on the east side of the Jordan River. That's where they believe it is. They don't know for sure. But this will give you some idea where Mahanaim is. Uh, by the way, on the opposite side of the Dead Sea, you'll see Hebron. That's where David is going to set up his capital. So just a little bit of geographic information about this. See if there's another one down here. Now this is a little closer. 
But Mahanaim on this map would be farther to the north on the side of the Jordan River, but that gives you a better view of where Hebron is. And on this one, you can see Jerusalem a little better. Of course, Jerusalem is not yet uh, a big factor in, uh, in Israel's political situation, I guess you'd say. So just a couple of maps there to give us an idea geographically of what we're talking about. Uh, are you picturing in your mind you you certainly did you got these two captains and they got some of their troops some of their best guy oh Jamie there's been talk previously of whether Saul knew that David had been anointed yes do you think that Saul's captain knew David had been anointed and maybe that's why he took Saul's son and placed him on the throne I'm not sure about why he put him on the throne. I'm just assuming it's, it was a natural succession in his eyes from the king to the son of the king. Whether or not Saul did, I believe Saul did. That's my impression because uh, we really could discuss the fact that David's brother, he was anointed in the presence of his brothers. And so the word had properly gotten out. And there are other things, even in this narrative, that I've been surprised about. Uh, the Philistines do things. But I would have thought, well, how do Philistines know that about what's going on in Israel? They, they were aware of things that were going on. So I'm sure Saul knew. Uh, I can't go to a specific passage that says Saul was aware of David's anointment, but we do know what Samuel told him. Back to chapter was it 13 of 1 Samuel. So, in other words, I'm, I want to go back and look at this. And we may find out. So I, haven't, I haven't looked for that question specifically. We may find out that he knew. Let's see. <clears throat> Chapter 13, yes. This is where Saul did not wait for Samuel to come as Samuel had directed him to come. And so Samuel says to Saul, verse 13 of thir- Chapter 13, 1 Samuel 13, 13. Samuel said to Saul, You have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. So in other words, he would have, but you can see it coming. He's not going to now. Now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So Here's Samuel telling Saul, it's over for you, buddy. You you were the king and you blew it. God's looking for a man after his own heart. Now, if Saul had been a godly man, he would have said, then I'm I'm sorry for what I've done. I will wait until I find that man and I will do what I can to support him as the Lord's newly anointed king over Israel. That should have been the mindset, but it wasn't. And so that's why we see him dying with such such shamefulness. In chapter 31. Uh, and, I mean, that, that's pretty bad when you, you resort to killing yourself because you don't want what the, would happen to you if the Philistines get hold of you while you're alive. And then the Philistines do find you and they cut off your head and nail you and your sons to the, to the wall. It, you know, it's horrible. Things were hard in those days. Uh, and there's still a lot of places in the world where it's just that hard. We have it so good in the Western world, as we say, and in America. 
in, in Oklahoma. What we have here, being citizens of this state and this nation, in this locality even, it's, it's just, when you really think about what's going on in the rest of the world and what other people have to endure and what's going on as far as uh, human suffering and injustice, you know, this place isn't perfect, but it's a sight better than what it is elsewhere. And we're looking at the world as it was in David's day. And now he's finally clear to take the throne. And how does his reign begin except with this combat between uh, Joab's guys and Abner's guys? And this isn't anything that David's set up to happen. This is uh, his men going about things their own way. And there's going to be some more of that. These, uh, these sons of Zeruiah, David will say, are a plague. And that would be Joab and Ahimelech, not Ahimelech, uh, Azariah. Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll read about that uh, as we continue here. But things, things are a mess. Now, what's going to happen? Did... Did I have that as a reading? Yeah, 18 to 23. Uh, anybody want to read that? I'll read it if nobody else does. Okay, Robert, 18 to 23. Read that and let's talk about that a little bit. Now the three sons of Zeruiah were there, Joab, Abisha, and Asahel, and Asahel. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, <laughs> was as swift-footed and as one of the gazelles that is in the field. Asahel pursued Abner and did not turn to the right or the left from following Abner. Then Abner looked behind himself and said, Is that you, Asahel? And he said, It is I. So Abner said to him, Turn aside for your own good to your right or to your left and take hold of one of the young men for yourself and take for yourself his equipment. But Asahel was unwilling to turn aside from the following young. Then Abner re repeated again to Azahel, turn aside for your own good from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I sh show my face to your brother Joab? However, he refused to turn aside, so Abner struck him in the belly with the butt end of the spear, so that the spear came out at his back, and he fell there and died on the spot. And it happened that all who came thereafter the place where Azahel had fallen and died stood still. All right. So we've had this little combat, little combat, where these, these 12 young men get up from each side of the pool and they approach each other, they grab each other by the head and they thrust each other through and all 12 of them or 24 of them drop dead having killed each other. And Abner sees this and he, man, we better get ourselves out of here. Because remember, who was Abner? He was Saul's captain. Saul is now dead, and he's, he's coming uh, to pay homage more or less to David and to see, well, can, can we get this thing going right? Because I've put, I've put uh, uh, Ishbosheth on the throne over here, and, and we've got to have some kind of peace. We've we got to work this out. Uh, I'm not after you like Saul was after you, but while Saul was after you, I was his captain, and I had to be out there. So anyway, that's the situation and now he is running from the scene, and who's chasing him? But Asahel, and who is Asahel? He's Joab's brother. 
And Abner knows this, and he's running. And Oh, man, that's Joab's brother behind me. I don't want to have to kill him, but Asahel is fast. And he said, oh, listen, hey, is that you, Asahel? Yeah, that's me. And Asahel probably thought, oh, I'm going to get to kill Saul's captain. Uh, I'm going to be a hero. I don't know what he was thinking, but he, he didn't let up. He kept pursuing, even though Abner said, I don't want to have to kill you. Stop following me. And he kept pursuing. So Abner takes a spear and thrusts it backwards. And the, the butt end of it, which sounds really painful because the butt end is not the sharp end. That, and it goes through Asahel, comes out the backside, and he drops down dead. And what happens when everybody else gets there where Asahel's died? They just stand there. It, it, to me, it's like, oh, man, this isn't good. This is Joab's brother. Things are going to get hot now. If they were hot before, you don't know how bad they're going to get. And sure enough, you, you keep reading, this whole situation is a mess. Now, remember, what was going on in Israel before Saul was made king? Who was their king? God was king. But the people look around and they see the nations and they say, we want to be like the nations. And what we're seeing here, they're becoming more and more like the nations around them and less and less like the people of God. That's what happens. When you pursue the ways of the world, you wind up with this kind of stuff going on. And we see it in our country right now. Uh, horrible things taking place. And I be, oh, you're just a preacher. But you go back to the 50s and 60s and you see how we began to depart from God and, and take things out of the school system that used to be in the school system. And we're going to start teaching our kids I grew up with the, the charts where you see the little monkey and it gets a bigger monkey and a bigger monkey until the, the biggest monkey they got turns into what? A man. And that's where we came from. God didn't make us. We came from monkeys. So let's start acting like monkeys. And that's exactly what's been happening in our nation ever since. There's the influence of, of God's teaching that leads us to think, well, we, we have responsibility. And there's the influence of man's teaching that says we're, we're just animals can't do any better so was there, had there been a bell oh that's like just went right over top of me we got to quit i guess i think that's what that means uh well lord willing we'll pick up next week well we'll pick up in a couple of weeks pray for me please and debbie we're going to be traveling cross country later this week going to west virginia i'm going to preach a gospel meeting as a plan in the congregation where i grew up so next week uh shannon has agreed to Oversee the class, so mind your manners, because if you're not good, I'll hear about it when I get back. <laughs> Love you guys. Appreciate you. Thank you.